You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Again, one of the one of the more interesting things that that is asked throughout the Christian world, especially in times of uh, discouragement or frustration or sadness or grief is we ask this question, God, how long? How long will this last? How long will we face this? How long will we have to endure? And so it's a, it's a very, very prevalent question. How long? It's, it's, a, it's a question because most of us because of a gift that God gave us, are still quite fascinated with time. So one of the things, one of the topics that I have on the list is just simply described as time versus purpose. Uh, years ago when I was with Kendall at Fredonia Hills Baptist Church in uh, Nacogdoches, and we were teaching a marriage seminar to college students who were not married, kind of in preparation for when that day might come. And uh, one of the things that we were, that, that people, that the students kept asking is how long should a couple date? How long should a couple be in a relationship before they got married? And, and it's like, the answer is very simple, not exactly what they wanted. Because the answer to that is time can accomplish nothing. You can date forever and gain nothing because the objective is not time. The objective is purpose. So we, we, we begin to recognize in our Christian life that this is, a, this is, is an ongoing debate. Well, I, I begin to think, and you all may have a much better perspective on this than I do. I was looking scripture that would really teach this and the conclusion was that the message of time versus purpose saturates every page that it is an ongoing very persistent message throughout the scripture how long long should the two of you date Matthew (laughs) <laughs> Nikki, you got an opinion? <laughs> it's what? That's not the, you need to stop. You need to, yeah, you're not, you're digging fat and you need, somebody take the shovel away from Matthew. <laughs> the reason that it doesn't have an answer is because the things that God needs to develop in Matthew, the things that God needs to develop in Nikki, are established by purpose and not by time. And so we begin to recognize that this is a big question because we live by time. We are very time sensitive. We're time driven. We're, we're schedule driven. So time is paramount in our story, and then we begin to recognize just exactly where God fits 
in this time continuum. So our conversation tonight is about time versus purpose. Uh, I do want us to go ahead and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, I go here because I had to go somewhere. I couldn't find any other scripture. So I was like, I got to, st- you know, I can't do a whole message and not have any scripture in it. So uh, we're, we're going to begin here. I don't know why, except this is a good place as any. It, at least it has the word time in it. So we're going <laughs> to. Yeah. Okay. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to loose, to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit has he that works in that wherein he labors? So even in that... We recognize that it is not time that is the objective. It's not time because he's saying clearly that there is a time for this, which is a purpose. He says it says it very well in that first verse, and a time to every purpose. So one of the one of the great difficulties in in this question: How do we sort through? You know, what are we really asking when we ask God, how long? How long will I be single? How long will I be alone? How long will I be tired? How long will I be sick? Again, very, very natural questions. What we don't recognize, though, is that if we can ever transfer over to the fact that that this is a question of purpose, suddenly the length of time no longer falls on God. That's a huge transfer. Simply because if if I'm understanding, pick on Matthew again, don't speak. Let, let me let me speak, okay? Is that a deal? If Matthew understands that this is not a question of time, I think I've told you this story that when we were we'd had this conversation, and a young man came up to me and I asked, "How long should I, I, how long should be my girlfriend date before we got married?" And I said, "Well, it's not about time; it's about purpose." And he, I said, how long have y'all been dating? He said, about a week. I said, I, I can assure you, you're probably not there yet. But he, fair question. If Matthew knows that this is about purpose instead of time, what would that allow Matthew to do? How can he affect time he knows 
It's really about purpose. Matthew, if I give you permission to speak, will you not step into the hole you were digging earlier? <laughs> Good answer. Anybody, what, what can he do? He can allow the purpose to take Yeah, and he can listen carefully. He can, he can actually pursue God. He can actually pursue for that clarity. He said, God, you've got a purpose to work in me. You know the deficit. You know, you know where I am. You know, you know what, what it will take for me to step into that place where I am, where I'm ready. God, you know it. I'm all ears. And he can either lengthen this and, and say, not interested, or he can greatly shorten the time by recognizing purpose. This, is, this will always be true. When, when I look at people who, who come into my office and they're, they're there for deliverance, and they have, and they're, for example, got one that's coming that's late 50s. You know, you know, they were hurt when the, when the initial blow occurred. They were eight, eight years old. So we look at that and say, what an unbelievable amount of time that was. They lived in this broken condition. Well, there's, there's, two, there's two things here. One is that I'm, I'm so sorry that there wasn't anybody around to catch them in that hurt and shorten that. I have a young man that was delivered. He's a tech student. He was delivered last, no, two weeks ago. And I'm just so grateful to, to catch somebody when they're 22. Because I know that if, if, some, if there's not this moment, then they'll be 42. And then they'll be 52. So I'm always glad when there's this openness and readiness because we, we look at that in terms of time and recognize how different that could be if there had been someone or even if that person had put themselves in a position before the Holy Spirit that that could have been shortened tremendously. So we use this phrase of a long, dark night in the soul or a short, bright day in the spirit. One of the greater tragedies of not teaching life in the spirit, one of the greater tragedies is that we destine people to be stuck in the long, dark night in the soul because they don't even have a glimpse of what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. To let the Holy Spirit begin to be exposing these things that are causing this darkness, that are causing this long, these long time periods, simply because nobody, rarely, do we actually teach on a practical basis what life in the Spirit looks like. I sat with this young man yesterday, and he's reading in the scripture. And so, after he's been delivered, a lot of our conversations are about just Bible study stuff. He's been learning, reading, passionate, on fire, excited to be free from that old stuff. And he comes with Bible questions, and he said, "Randy, right here it says I'm supposed to walk in the Spirit. I walk 
in the spirit. He just started showing these scriptures one after the other, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so he's asking, he said, I don't think I know what that looks like. What life in the spirit looks like on a practical, what does it look like for me to live this every day? So I start body, soul, spirit, our body. What does it do? It senses. What does our soul do? It thinks and feels. What does our spirit do? It watches and listens. So immediately we recognize that life in the spirit is about obedience. It's about this ability to hear. It's about this ability to see. And, and so started just talking to him in a very practical basis what this looks like every day. How we have access to the spirit who knows our story. You know, when, when, when someone comes into my office, all that's happening is that the spirit who already knew their story, who likely already indwelt them, is allowed to tell the story. I'm, all, all I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm catching this story from the spirit. Get, we begin to open it up between the two of us. But that spirit that they always have access to knows their story. But when we don't know how to live a life in the spirit, the stories go, the stories remain hidden. Well, we have to shift, clearly have to shift from time to purpose because I can tell, we can tell that if I know its purpose and, 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 marriage, and marriage preparation is such a good, how do, how do I know well, it's, if you go back, well, we've been dating two years. That's probably long enough. Those two years might not have accomplished anything. There might have been no growth in those times. But if you know that God has a purpose in this courting time, then I can pursue that purpose. And with diligence in the spirit, I pursue it. What happens time? It gets shorter and shorter. So I am much more powerfully involved in this story of what God's doing in terms of purpose than just thinking in terms of time. So I, I have a few uh, comments about, about time that, uh, and time and purpose just to try to gain a little bit of clarity in this. And uh, if you have questions or comments, uh, please keep them to yourself. I don't have time for them tonight. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> the purpose in this, and I don't have a lot of time. So I'm just kidding. Just kidding. The first thing we have to recognize is that time is a gift God gave to us. It's not, it's, it is not something he needs. We'll talk about that again just in the second point. We use it for, for the counting of life. So basically we could say time begins for us when we're born, time for us ends when we die. That's what, again, that's what we capture on the tombstone between the parentheses. Here's the start of the time. Here's the end of time. Now, again, it doesn't, it doesn't say a great deal except the fact that we can recognize that time is given for our convenience. I can tell somebody I need to meet you at one o'clock. It's a 
it's a convenience and a gift that God has given us. But on the, the, the second thing is that when you, when you begin to recognize we're talking about an eternal God, what's the, you know, when was the beginning of that? Never. When was the end, when's the end of that? Never. So suddenly we take God out of a framework of time and recognize that eternity doesn't have, it's like, does it matter if a, a year has passed or 10 years have passed? Only according to his purpose. Why do we not have a specific date when Jesus is returning? What are we waiting on? What's he waiting on? That his purpose would be accomplished. He knows what that purpose is. He, he, he articulates it to us in ways, some ways we can, in some ways that we can't. But, but he has purpose. Like uh, This is an interesting question to me. Uh, when, when we the globe, North Pole is on the north, and we say that's the top, and the South Pole is on the bottom. How do we know that? When you put this globe in something as expansive as the universe, how do we know? We don't know. Makes sense. We, we, we describe it that way. We describe it in terms that we can use. How do, we, how do we put time into eternity and make it have much of a meaning? Well, we, we begin to recognize the third, the third thing, which is God, who is eternal, exists outside of time. Exactly, you know, he has, he's given us some very good details, you know, from, from Daniel chapter 9, specifically about the number of days between things. You know, the, 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 the seven weeks of, of, of Daniel chapter 9. I mean, he's declaring 490-year period. And, and it's like, oh, there's a very specific amount of time. Sure is. Got a, got a huge problem in it, though. What year are we in now? 490 years from, from the rebuilding of the walls in the, in the streets of Jerusalem to, to the coming of Messiah the Prince. 490 years. Well, the, the Messiah the Prince hasn't come yet. So what year are we in? We're in between year 483 and 484. Because it says 483 would, would, would be here. It says 484 will be here. And we're living in this very uh, unusual time frame called the church age. How will we know it's over? When God's purpose is accomplished. See, that when, when, when Israel refused to produce the fruit that Israel was supposed to produce, Matthew 21, 43, he says, I will make for myself a new nation. It's never been a nation. 
to produce the fruit that you were supposed to produce. So again, we didn't replace Israel. We've been grafted in. Why would we graft us in? Because we're producing that fruit. It's not a new fruit. It's not a separate fruit. It's not a different fruit. It's the fruit that Israel was supposed to produce. How many years will that take? I don't have a clue. Because it's by purpose, not by time. So even when he refers to time, there's still unique purpose in it. And this protracted time we call the church age that we can't answer how long. You'll know it when year 484 begins. And he's pretty distinct about what year 484 actually is. So again, we're living right now in this question of purpose. Well, if it would work for Matthew and him putting himself before God and saying, God, you have a purpose in me that be accomplished and I'm going to open myself to you so that you could, you could work your purpose in me according to, to your ability to do it, which is very different than our ability to receive it. What if this church age, this very protracted church age, could also be affected our willingness to obey? It, 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 there is some reasoning or some sense in that, some possibility in that for me, that the reason that this is protracted as it is, is because the purposes of God, which will be accomplished, he won't move until the purposes are accomplished. That, it's, that it is affected by our willingness to hear the Spirit, be in the Spirit, engage the Spirit, trust the Spirit, so that, so that the Spirit is actually accomplishing that which God has on his heart and his mind because he's functioning outside of time. The fourth one, God sees the end, the beginning, and our course according to his overall purpose. Again, we talked about this even on Sunday morning about the fact that we are the body, but who fits us together? He does. We are here based on a design that he has. So when we begin to recognize that, that he, he can see the end from the beginning and our course within it is set according to his overall purpose. On, on Sunday morning, again, such a, to me, such a powerful and amazing morning. The Holy Spirit just... As I, as I said on Sunday night, I stood up to preach and my, my head was about to explode. Because when you, when you hear the, the, really the two visions that Elizabeth shared and the word that, uh, that Bev shared, and then Max came up and shared a, a, an entirely different vision, and I'm realizing that I'm hearing one vision, that, that this is all together, and my mind, this very old, antiquated, onboard computer that hasn't had an upgrade in a while, is spinning as fast as it can trying to recover and process all that data to see what is the link here? How is it all tied together? So when I stood up, it was like, God, you're going to have to straighten this out as we go because I'm not clear yet how, to, how this how these visions actually fit. But I know that the Spirit was releasing them. I, 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 it was, they were bearing witness with me that I wasn't 
even hesitant that what I was hearing was all linked together. But, you know, when we recognize that we are that body of Christ and that we are tempered together, it begins, we, we begin to recognize that if he's going to put us in place and he's going to temper us together, and, and I looked in some of the Bibles that y'all carry, and I mentioned it, that the word temper has, has been replaced in some versions with the word composed. Like, no, it's a different, it's a different concept. If I'm composing something, I can put something in, I can take something out. You know, we was talking to Joe Beth a while ago, and if, if, this, if this had a Coke in it, and, and I had, a, I had a, a Sprout over here, and I mixed the two together, what's the likelihood I could get them apart? Can't happen. That's what tempered means. It's co-mingled. And then we ask the, the next question, well, God, why? He answers in the very next verse. So there will be no schism. So there'll be no division in his body. But, you know, I, I was talking to, to Lacey after, I think it was, our, yeah, it was our conversation. I love picturing the church as a river that runs through here and runs, you know, through the church next door and, and, and runs the level and through Fairview, and it runs through those churches, and it runs through different nations and different creeds and tongues of people. That it, it, it's a beautiful river that, that's of, of all believers. But as I told Lacey, but we have a responsibility for this section of the river. We're stewards of a piece of that river, making sure that there's a flow into it, and making sure that through us there's a flow out of us. But we're responsible for this section called the body of Christ in sundown. We're responsible for being stewards of this section of the river. And we, and, and we can't be, because in this huge river, we've got a purpose. What if you take this section out? Then... We get, we get passed by because God's purposes are going to be accomplished. But he put us squarely into this river, stewards of this section, so that by his spirit coming in, because this is what links us, by the spirit leaving so that we minister to the others around us, this river flows. And it flows very freely. So we're, we're responsible for, for dredging this part, getting garbage out, getting purpose. How long is it going to take? I don't, we, can't, we, we can't even consider it in terms of time because he exists outside of it. The next one, the fifth one, God gives every purpose a time that allows it to reach perfection, a time to be born. How long does it take? It's been good. Matthew, go punch a button back there. I don't even care which one. <laughs> you, it, okay, well, see if it'll be quiet. It used to take, when Jan was pregnant, it took, it took nine months. I don't know what happened. It takes longer than that. It takes 40 weeks now. Somebody, somebody changed something. 
40 weeks to have a baby, a time so that what happens, what, what, what's the hope at the end of that time? That God's purpose would be accomplished, which is what? What do we hope for in that baby? Perfection. Ten fingers, ten toes, ears, eyes. We hope. The expectation is that that time allowed to be born is a purpose being accomplished. So when, it, when, when we recognize God gives every purpose a time so that it can reach perfection. I know that this is a much more difficult topic when we come to terms of death. So I'm not going to even try to explain all stories related to death because, man, I, I would be trying to explain that forever. But it is unusual and remarkably beautiful to be with somebody like we were with, with Jackie Green at, at 93 years of age. And circumstances that led to her death were, were unfortunate because they were largely avoidable. But when you're with somebody and they're in this process of dying, when you look at it from human terms, it's difficult. But if you ever let yourself imagine what God says, when you ever let yourself borrow his eyes for a minute in this same thing, and you watch this people transition, from, from life into his hands, you realize that it was perfect. Well attended. When, uh, when Ryan Parrish passed away, this is when I learned this, that he kept asking his mom and dad, who are these people? And they would say, Ryan, we're the only ones here. And he said, no, the room's full. So you recognize that in that moment, for this 16-year-old kid, that it was perfect. It was perfect. Well attended. Established by God from his perspective. So we were even, even there's, there was that time for him to establish perfection around that tragic loss. So it, it shouldn't surprise us that God establishes purpose a time for each of those purposes because he is bringing things to perfection. Time, the next one, time is always given for a purpose as we just got through reading in Ecclesiastes. The last one, time that is not used for its intended purpose. And this one's a, a little bit different, but it, it said in the notes that it's wasted and lost. I have to process that for just a second because I do, I do believe that, uh, that God's purposes are going to be accomplished. So I'm going to return to Matthew one more time. He's been gracious to not throw anything at me yet. Uh, but if he understands that God's trying to accomplish something in him, bringing him to a place, because God has him at a point of perfection so that when he's standing, making promises, 
saying vows, the commitments that he's making. He's doing it from a place that's, that has been prepared by the Spirit of God, not by the pressures of men, not by the, the fact that parents are, are wanting the wedding to look just like this and like this and get everything done. No, the real ceremony occurs because God's purposes have been accomplished in a couple. They stand there and they, and they let God bring them to that, to that place. If Matthew absolutely just kind of moves through this casually and that which could have been accomplished in a year is now three years, any time lost or wasted in that? It's hard to quantify this. It's like I don't even want to quantify it in the terms of of who God is, but the answer is yes. If I understand in me the purposes of God, and, and I'll, I'll give you another example, just a very obvious one. When he spoke to me that name was wisdom, one of the most unusual things that occurred was that I looked back and recognized how many times he had tried to tell me how many times he had tried to bring me into that awareness. I couldn't see it until after I discovered what, I mean, because he took, he, he took me through a, a challenging year so that he would get me in the position to listen. Why did he have to do that? Because his purpose was going to be accomplished. But why did he have to take me through that difficult year? Because I, I hadn't heard it before. I, I wasn't in a spiritual position or willing or ready to hear anything else. Any time wasted in there? It's hard to say because I'm very grateful that God's purpose was accomplished. But, but, but I w would I sit here and say, I wish I'd have known this at 22 Instead of 45, yeah, I would have been tickled to death. I would have loved for somebody at, when I was in high school to begin to teach me that God would speak to me and let me know that I, I could actually hear him speak instead of learning that when I was 50 plus years old. I really, you know, I'm very grateful that God can give back the years that the locusts have devoured. I'm glad for that promise. But I'd like to have lived those years under the truth that I, I now know. Again, doesn't stop me from being grateful. But it is interesting to ask that question about was, was there time? Well, if, if I could go back and say, no, God never, God never tried, that I got it the first time. But if he was persistent in trying to tell me if he was persistent in trying to bring restoration in my life much earlier, then it's very hard for me not to calculate that his purposes were being drawn out by whom? By me. He was patient. I don't think I ever changed the expression on his face toward me. I don't think he ever got to where he was going like, come on, come, Randy, come on. I don't think he ever got to that place. But I think the gift of freedom that he was standing there holding, he held a while. 
When was it available to me? Long ago. It took me a long time to finally take it. But the gift was available much sooner. Again, do, do, I, do I think now at 64 years old that my life is wasted? No. But I am so grateful when, I, when we watch our students get it when they're very young. Because it sure feels differently for them to get it and begin to live it. You know, again, I, I love this young man that I'm having an opportunity to be his mentor and to visit with each week because he is like a sponge. And he is getting it and he is excited every time we meet. He's read his Bible. It's got marks in it. He said, I, I never saw this before. I never saw this before. And it was just on and on. I'd read it and it's like, I never saw this before. He's got profound questions because there's an intrigue now because he's no longer fighting the, the, the false identity. Again, I shared with you uh, on Sunday morning just this, because I taught it back there in Bible study, that I'm very grateful in this church of how many people have been delivered from the ugly past of their broken life, the false identities that many of us have carried. I'm grateful that so many have been set free from that. But as I shared with you on Sunday morning, I've, I've realized that's only half the story, and, and I'm accepting that that's the lesser half. Because just like he didn't just save me to, to remove me from my sin, he saved me so that there could be a life after that that could, be, that could move very, very differently. Well, likewise, when we're delivered, I use the illustration that we need to stand back from here and from his rhema, our spoken word, that he speaks directly to us. We need to let him stand in front of this now clean canvas, not only with sin removed, but with the brokenness removed. And now the canvas is clean. But how many of us a year later or two years later or five years later are still standing in front of an empty canvas, still not knowing where our life is going? And God is standing there very willingly from his written word and his spoken word ready to take the paintbrush and begin to paint this portrait of who we are. So what do you think picks up this broad brush because he wants this canvas completely covered? What color is he going to paint the background? And I don't want an actual color. I want, a, I want a thought from God's heart. What color will the background be? Love. God is love. Any portrait he paints of me is going to be against that backdrop. So he takes this other color and, 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 he, and, he, and he using it across that so that, that, so that now... It's like it becomes iridescent. It becomes dimensional. What color did he just use? God is good. So now that love projects to me.
and he starts and he starts painting me. What are some what, what are some of the colors that he's going to paint? Yeah, he's going. But let's let's get what does he what does he what does he say about us in our relationship with him? He's going to paint me as his child. He's going to paint me as a uh, like, like we said, if, if I'm standing there and, he, and, and I begin to see him paint this shield and I realize he's painted a, a, a sword on my hip, does it give me any direction in my life? Yeah, because what, what am I? I'm a warrior. Or if he begins to paint you and you're on your knees at an altar, give you any direction? Yeah, what's he saying about you? You're an intercessor. But we haven't stood there long enough to let him begin to paint. Because that is the second, that is the more important part. He cleared the canvas of sin by his death. He, he cleared the canvas by the Spirit's indwelling so that the canvas can be clean, so that he can begin to paint and, by, and create an image of us. So that we can actually see ourselves according to his design, his purpose. And then what happens? We talked about it Sunday morning. I, I, I'm watching him paint. And he, and he paints me fearfully and wonderfully made. And then I look up and I realize, hey, that's not looking much like me anymore. So whose image begins to show up? I hope his. I begin to look more and more like him because who is it actually doing it through me? Because he's painting me as this indwelt child who now has the ability to hold himself in me. So he has to paint me filled with his spirit. So I begin to look more like him. And then I take another step back and I realize but he can't paint me without painting Mr. Hensley and Mrs. Hensley, Mrs. Vandertuen. So now the, now the picture looks like him, but it's a whole collection of us because it's his body that's in the picture. Purpose. He has a purpose. Why has he not painted? Why, what keeps him from painting immediately. He's standing in front of the canvas. Why is there no picture in so many people? From the metaphor, what keeps him from painting? Let's start with this. Who keeps him from painting? That's me. Then what keeps him from painting? Yeah. Because who's holding the brush? I am. I hand him the brush, he'll begin to paint. When I pick up this word and I, and I begin to say, God, talk to me about me. I will assure you, you will find yourself in these pages. He will begin to paint He's going he's gonna to paint you 
in the most vivid and dynamic colors because he has a purpose that in your life that he wants you to see. He's going to draw the, he's going to paint the, 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 you know, what if you're standing there and you've got this shepherd's hook in your, in your hand? What do you pretty well know? I'm a shepherd. What if, I don't even know what this looks like anymore, but what if you're wearing one of those white nurses' uniforms that nurses used to wear? I like those things. What, what, what are you pretty sure you're going to be? You're going to be a nurse. You're going to minister healing. What happened when Rhea and Amanda were here when they began to paint those very specific pictures of us? What were they doing? They were showing us prophetically many things about ourselves. So he was painting you a little bit differently than he painted Teresa, even though there was things in common. He was painting you differently. I have, if I give him permission, I will assure you, he will paint quickly. But who's determining the rate of his painting? It's me. Because I'm on a schedule. I can't, God, I can't sit anymore for you to paint me. I've got somewhere I've got to be. I'm busy. I've, I've got to be here. I'm on a schedule. Someone's expecting me. So time, our focus on time, slows his purpose. Because he's about purpose. Comment your question. Again, I know this is an unusual topic. And it's not one that we, that we speak of often. But it's one, it's one that we need to get. Because I want to come into agreement with purpose. And not be so pressed to say, God, how long? If I were to begin to say, God, how long am I going to be here as pastor? Like, I don't have a clue. I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if God has a clue. How long? Because what's it about? Purpose. If I ask him right now, God... How long? When? You think he's going to give me a date? No, because he's got a purpose. I believe with all my heart when that purpose is accomplished, just as he did with Dale transitioning to me, just that, you know, Dale told me when, on that February morning when I told him about the vision I'd had of being the next pastor here, and it was supposed to be soon, his words were quick. God released me last October. So God had already prepared his ending and my beginning. He knew, God knew, purpose. He knows his purpose for me here, and I hope that I'm sensitive enough to know so that I won't cut it off one day prior to when it's supposed to be because I want his purpose much more significantly than my time. Whether that be sooner or later than I expected, doesn't matter. I want it to be purpose. Okay, Matthew, we got you lined up, but 
Got it now? Okay. Nick, do you believe that? <laughs> Any comments? All right, Lord, we thank you tonight that we could be in your house. And again, just an unusual topic, but one that's powerful, relevant. You say it well. For every, for every purpose, you designate a time. Not in days, not in years, but a season that your purpose will be accomplished. And Lord, I pray that we would get it so that by the openness of my spirit to your leadership, just as we watched Jesus for three and a half years live every day with one desire to hear you, to see you, so that he could be absolutely every day the exact image of the Father, but you knew that it was moving to a purpose and his obedience allowed that timing to be perfect. Not because just of a particular day, but because a purpose was accomplished. Thank you, Father, that you, that you have so designated us. You know the length of our days. You know very much your, your, your plan for us. I pray, Lord, that the purpose within that season is what's the remarkable part, not simply the length of it. So let us live in agreement with your spirit, hearing you and seeing you so that we too can at the end of our days hear the words, you came just in time, you are right on time, what you said, well done, because the purpose was accomplished, well done good and faithful servant. The purpose of your life was accomplished. So Lord, thank you for the clarity that you bring, just the, 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 the awareness that you bring of this, as only you can bring it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.